Matthew 12, 43. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. Those three verses we'll read. And today we are going to talk about the need for a replacement. The need for a replacement. It's a principle in the Bible that we see. <clears throat> so just notice here this, you might could call it a parable, this little illustration that Jesus gives. We're going to read it. It's only three verses. And we're just going to teach from it, illustrate it a little bit, and apply it to us, okay? Notice the words of Jesus Christ, Matthew 12, 43, 44, 45. Jesus says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. When I look at this passage here to try to get to try to get us to start visualizing what it's saying. Uh, it makes me think of um, a lot of things that, that I usually have that I compare with, and that is cars. Um, how many of you have ever seen an old car, or maybe you're looking at your own car right now and you're saying, my, I've seen old cars, or how many of you say my car right now or one of my cars right now really needs a paint job bad? Anybody need a paint job? Oh, wow. Uh, you can go see the Sandovals, although they're kind of busy. All right. You know, you look at a car like that, um, you look at a car, brother Ed. Are you thinking of your truck here? Sorry to embarrass you. Yeah. So, you know, you get an old truck or car. And you're like, man, that thing needs a new paint job. You know, you're looking at it, and think, I gotta do something about that. My dad and I, just a little object lesson here that relates right to this passage. Uh, of course, we did a lot of restoration work on classic cars and hot rods, doing the paint work. But one thing that we didn't do is something I'm about to tell you that I've seen other people do, and that some, sometimes a shop or an individual will look at their car, their old car or whatever, maybe it's a newer car, it just needs a new paint job, and uh, they'll say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that thing a new paint job. Look, at that thing's so ugly, the paint's bad. Um, you know, they, maybe, maybe they look at the, uh, the surface, uh, I mean, maybe you can see some surface rust, or you see rust on the bottom of the fenders. You're like, man, that thing's so ugly. I want to I wanna get a paint job. And, and they start thinking, well, the first thing I need to do is strip this car. And um, uh, sometimes the individual will do that, and they'll, they'll go strip it. What I mean strip it, I mean strip all the paint off. Anybody in here ever use paint stripper? Not necessarily even on a car, maybe on wood. Anybody ever use paint stripper? Okay, it kind of smells, you know, and bubbles up, and... Uh, Cancer might come at us a little early because of it. Who knows? But, you know, you get a car like that. It looks ugly. It's got rust. It's got a bad paint job. I've seen people, my dad and I have seen people, they strip their whole car. They have a, maybe it was like a, uh, it was an old Camaro, a 69 Camaro. I'm just using an example. And, uh, oh, man, I'm going to, this car needs to be, we need a new paint job. So they'll take it to a sandblaster. A sandblaster, 
Well, there's different kinds of strippers, but one of them's a sand, sandblaster, and he'll he'll basically get a he has a tank of sand and he has a high power compressor and it blows air really fast and just starts feeding sand into it and it's basically um, just blasting the surface of a vehicle with small bits of sand and it, it's a good thing in that it, it it takes off the paint it takes off all the bondo and you know what if you do that to a whole car you're like wow look at that it's brand new and they you'd see guys they do that and they they'd strip a whole car and it looks just all uniformly gray because of the metal you know your metal's gray and you're like wow and it even has like an all it's kind of a rough surface but it's all the same wow look at that it's all clear there's no more rust on that look at that they even got all the rust off and and there's no oh we got the bondo out and they got all that nasty paint job and some guys would get all excited because they'd sandblast their whole car and it's a good thing to do that they'd sandblast the whole thing and it's all clean and and uh, you know no more you don't see that ugly Anything on there that's ugly and, you know, unsightly rust or paint, and they have, they're happy about that. And then they think, well, I don't really have enough money right now to paint it, but, so I'll just kind of wait on that. And, and um, maybe I'll go down to Henry's, Henry's Restorations and see what he's going to charge me later. And they'll let their car sit like that, and, uh, and some guys will let it sit outside like that. Just bare metal, not even just regular bare metal. I mean, it's... it's it's porous. It's, it's got a, uh, so clean, but there's nothing on there to seal it. And there's no new paint job on it. It's just cleaned and empty of anything else. And, and what happens is, is that if a guy lets, and we've seen this happen again, I've seen a guy lets a vehicle set that way, just a bare metal, and pretty soon, even in Arizona, it's, we really don't get a lot of rust out here. But there's sometimes when it's a little bit humid. A couple times a year it rains, right? And that's enough to where if it gets wet, it gets humid for a few days. All of a sudden, after a few days, you'll see that metal, that gray uniform metal start to get a little orange. And just some surface rust start to, to accumulate on it. And if you wait even longer, the surface rust just grows and grows. And if it becomes from gray to orange, man, that is, you're in big trouble. And the honest truth of it is, if you have a vehicle where you looked at it, you're like, that looks ugly, that paint job looks ugly, the rust looks ugly, I'm going to sandblast it, and you let it set, and it becomes all orange and uh, surface rusted again, it is more work to deal with that right now. It's worse, you're worse off than if you just left it alone on its old, nasty old paint job. So, Ed, if you got it, I mean, just leave it until you're ready to paint this thing, you know. If you, if you have a vehicle like that, and you do that and let it set, it is actually worse off. Even though you took off all the old stuff, it becomes worse off. It becomes more, it becomes more subject to corrosion and more rust on there now and a greater hassle cleaning it up then just leave it alone until you're going to do a total paint job where you take it off and you put something right back on it that's fresh and good. That's really the principle that Jesus is beginning to teach here, that he does teach, and it's echoed in Scripture. And that is, whenever you have something bad in your life, and you and you, i got to get rid of that. Well, you have to displace it 
with something good. That is the basic principle I'm going to teach today. The need for a replacement, and it applies in a lot of areas. So what has happened here? Look, look at this text here. An unclean, look at what it says in verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. All right, well, let's just pause right there. <clears throat> I guess that a man can be possessed with an unclean spirit. Jesus is taking the idea of demon possession and the idea of a man being possessed with the devil and the devil coming out of him as an example here. But just think about this. People can be possessed with the devil, a devil. The Antichrist in the future will be possessed with Satan himself. But men and women can be possessed with a devil or demons, multiple demons. So Jesus is saying, all right, remember, imagine this. An unclean spirit is gone out. It's, it's left this man. Well, it follows the unclean spirit. I guess he does go somewhere. Look what it says in verse 43. He walketh through dry places seeking rest. So the unclean spirit, the demon's looking for something to do. Demons stay busy. They want to do something. He's looking for something to do. He walks through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then saith he, I will return into my house from whence I came out. Oh, by the way, he thought that was his house. That's how he looks at human beings. Hey, I want it. That's my house. Again, he wants to possess it. He wants to take claim of it. So he says, I want to go back to that house that I, was at, that I got, that I left or I got exercised from. I want to go check that out again. And the Bible says he goes there. He finds it empty. Wow, it's better than it was before. Swept and garnished. That means that um, there's really, there's no other, empty means there's no other person there. I mean, the person, the human's there, but there's no God. There's no other demon there. And then it's clean. Wow, he goes into that house, that other person. Boy, that person's cleaner. They're, their life is cleaner. Their morals are cleaner. They're, uh, it's cleaned up. But there's no person associated with that cleanliness at all. It's just a clean life. There was nobody to stop me here. There was no uh, strong man to stop me from going in here. It's clean. It's empty. And it's garnished. Well, it's neat and tidy in here. That's how they rearrange this guy's inside of this man's house. This inside of this man, he's he's orderly. He's arranged. He's got a pattern to his life. I like this. But nobody stops him from going in. This demon into this man into this house that he calls it. He says, "Let's get some other guys in on this," and he brings demons in on this. He brings other demons. What does it say? Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. Nobody stops this demon, nor seven other wicked spirits from going into this man. It didn't matter that he had a clean life. It didn't matter that he had an arranged life and he was orderly and had a good schedule as a timely person or whatever. It didn't matter. He was still vulnerable to Satan coming in him the demons coming in him and affecting his life, and he goes in there. In fact, it's probably now, maybe it's less suspect that he's there now because the man seems clean and orderly and well-garnished life. But those demons are there, Jesus says. And the point is, Jesus says here, the last state of that man is worse than the first even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. 
the last state of that man. So in other words, that guy, all right, before the guy had a demon in him. That's not good. But the demon comes out, the guy cleans up his life, he's back in order, and now nothing comes in to replace it. So seven go in there and occupy them, and they're more wicked. Jesus says, it would have been, it's better, this was be- would have been better. Actually, this way he says it, this is worse than his first ill condition. That's what Jesus is saying here. And the idea there is, yes, the guy needed to clean out the demonic stuff, clean out the unclean spirit, clean out what was dirty in his life, but he needed to put in that which is clean and that which has, there's, a, there's an authority in his life. He didn't have that. Jesus says, even so shall it be also, look at verse 45, unto this wicked generation. So this is talking, now let's think about this. First, let's just deal with Jesus and his audience on this, okay? And then we're going to bring it to where we're at today. Jesus is saying this to people who, in chapter 11 and even into chapter 12, his audience had basically rejected him. Uh, the nation of Israel had rejected him. He even, he even sent out his um, disciples into the different cities that he was going to go to and they had um, done miracles, and they preached the gospel. And they, uh, yeah, they rejected him. And so, um, and even in this passage, we talked, it was a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago, about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, where they saw, they saw all that Jesus did. They saw him demonstrate that he is God, and, 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 and that um, he, he had, Jesus said, cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, ah, and they blasphemed it. So Jesus is in a day and age where they have rejected him. Now, previous to this, again, Jesus is saying, this, is a, this, is a, this generation is going to have something like this happen to them. They're going to be worse off. Years before this, a couple hundred years before this, more than a couple hundred. There was a time where Israel went into captivity, Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Now, that's not a vacation. Oh, I'd like to go see Babylon. No, 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 not the way Israel did. No. They were slaves. They were dragged. They had nose rings. You're talking about nose rings? Some of them had nose rings, and they dragged. That's what a nose ring is for. It's for slaves and for... You pull them by it. They had... Some of them had that. Some of them were uh, taken naked to Babylon. Some of them had their eyes plucked out. They were taken to captivity from their land to Babylon. And some, a small remained in the land, and the Babylonians dominated them. Why did they go into captivity several hundred years before this passage? Because they were idolaters. They were idolaters. They had forsaken the Lord. Um, instead of God, they had idols. And idols are demons. Behind a lot of the idols are demons, I should say. So they went into captivity. After 70 years, you know what? When they, being into captivity, they went back to Israel. And it was good. They made a return. Israel, uh, the Israelis went back to their land. There was some good reformations. There was some good things under Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and even in the, what we call intertestamental period, between Malachi and the book of Matthew, that intertestamental period, there was even some... some uh, Reformation then, the Maccabees, and you know, some of the Pharisees, when you read about the Pharisees, they actually started out good, 
They were a good thing. There was kind of a surge in wanting to get back to following God and high standards and being holy and all this. Um, the word Pharisee means separate ones. But they ended up becoming so enamored with themselves and their laws and their traditions and that they became a kind of like a, a god to themselves. But what I'm saying is by the time Jesus came, so here's Jesus' day, they had, they're done with idolatry. As far as I know, as far as I can find, Israel had not gone back to idolatry like they, like they used to. Even in Israel himself, Jacob, they struggled with idolatry. And his kids, they kind of struggled all the time with idolatry, with idols. And by the time of the end of Babylon, they are done with idolatry. They don't return back to it. They got other problems. And so when, they, when Jesus, by the time we come to Jesus' day, they're cleaned in that sense, swept and garments. They've got organized religion there. There's a sense of morality. You know, underneath the surface, people still were sinners, and Jesus preached against that, and sinners and publicans came to him, and he saw the corruption inside the Pharisees. But there was a sense of, well, they're just kind of a clean, moral society. And Jesus um, comes to that society, and he should have been welcomed as welcomed into their house. He should have been welcomed into that, but he wasn't. He was turned away. And so Jesus says, since there's no, in a, in a, he speaks to the individual, since the individual that I is listening to me is not receiving me, their last state is going to be worse than their first. In other words, I believe he's saying this for the individual and for the nation as well. Israel became in a worse condition by the time it was 80, 70. Israel was in a worse condition. You know what happened in 80, 70? So, okay, in Jesus' day, Israel re basically rejected Jesus. By 80, 70, it was terrible. The Roman general Titus came in and just plundered their, their city and took apart the temple and all that, and they, it was worse, and they, were dis they got, began to be dispersed by that time. And their last state was worse than the state before when Jesus was there uh, speaking to them. The idea here is the principle of replacement. Let me give you a couple of scriptures, and we're going to, um, when then we'll look at some others, I'll just quote a few. The Bible teaches the need to, when you take out something bad, don't just have things clean, but put in something good. The Bible says, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But it doesn't have a period there. In the, or it may have a period, but it doesn't end there, the thought. In other words, a man is blessed for not walking in the counsel of ungodly, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. He's blessed for avoiding those. But the blessing continues in this. His delight is in something. His delight is in what? The law of the Lord. It's not enough to be against a lot of things. You have to be for something. You know, replace the things that you abhor with something you love. The Bible says here that um, in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, Paul says that she put off concerning the, the former conversation, put off the old man. 
Put off the old man, which is corrupt, and put on the new man. And put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. It says, here's what I'm trying to tell you. The Bible says, put off the bad, put off that old man, that old nature, put on the new man, put on the new things you're supposed to do. Paul says. That's what he says. You've heard this statement. Nature abhors a what? Vacuum or a void. Nature hates that. What does that mean? Oh, that means if you were to, you know, some of you have water bottles in here, and you, some kids, they get bored in church, they start sucking on their water bottle, and it has this pressure. There's a pressure in it. The pressure means because it, it wants to fill back up with air. If you take air out in our atmosphere, it wants to, air needs to go back in. It want, nature wants to put it back in. Nature abhors a void. There's a pressure to have something back in there. Um, when we say, you know, let's use the example of clothes. Um, nobody likes to wear dirty clothes except maybe some six-year-old boys. Okay. Right? I mean, we want to have clean clothes. But if I were to have, but if I were to tell my six-year-old boy or whatever and say, hey, those clothes are dirty, take them off. He would probably just take them off. Mine would probably take them off and not put anything else on. But, but you know, if you tell somebody, hey, those clothes are nasty, those clothes are dirty, um, those are bad clothes. Get rid of those. The idea is take off those bad things, but here, put on, this is better, put on something new. The idea is we want you naked. We want you with nothing. We want you destitute. We want you cold because that's bad. No, the idea is you put off what's bad, you put on what's good. I know this isn't deep, but this is very, this is where some, this is what I found. You probably can hear me say this more than once. I find Christians fail not in deep things, but in simple things. They don't fail in the deep things. They fail in a simple thing like, okay, fine, you're going to stop having wicked friends? Well, go get a good friend. Okay, fine, you're going to stop listening to the wicked music? Well, go get some good music. And I find what sometimes Christians do is they get rid of some bad things and they don't put in something good, and they fail there. And there's a void, and they go back to the stupid bad things they were doing. And so that's the principle Jesus is teaching here. Um, let me ask you this. Is your state spiritually, he talks about the state of a man. Is your state spiritually better or worse than it was the last few, let's say in the last two months? Is your spiritual state better or worse? It depends, your state being better or worse depends not on if you're just cleaning up your act, not on if you just have good plans and resolutions and, and have good strategies. Your state being better or not depends on how well you're doing replacements in your life or not. Replacing the bad with good. That determines if your state's going to be good or not. Um, so how is this practice today? Here's what I, the two main points I want to give. How is this practiced today? And it's in this order, too. When Jesus is talking about an a man's house being emptied of something bad, um, and then these wicked spirits, and he cleaning up, and these wicked spirits going back in there, that's teaching us at least two things. Number one, it teaches us we need God in our house. And I'm talking, when I say house today, I mean this, the body, the tabernacle, your vessel, this mortal body. We need God to be the resident, the strong man of this house. That's what it's teaching us here. 
And then the second thing, and it's in this order too. First God and the, in this house, and then secondly, godly habits, godliness in our habits. We need God in our house and godliness in our habits, replacing the bad ones, okay? That's what we're going to talk about. That's it. So let's consider this. We need God in our house. Notice in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. If you have Christ as your Savior, He's the most important resident in your vessel. He's the most important resident. Colossians chapter 1, 27. Uh, Yannick, it's kind of echoing a little bit. Is there something we could do about that? Colossians 1, 27. Thank you. Listen to these words. Very simple. It's talking about somebody being in us and how wonderful that is. Paul says, Colossians 1, 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What makes it so wonderful? What makes it glorious about this gospel? Yes, it's eternal life, but it's also Christ in me. I have this treasure of Jesus Christ, of His Spirit, I should say, in my earthen vessel. Wow, that's the glory of this house. There's nothing great. Um, think about your own body. There is one good thing about it. It's fearfully and wonderfully made. Our vessel. Even if you're not a Christian today. God made this. It's pretty neat. Now, it's, there's, we can tell there's something wrong because I'm dying, which tells me God didn't do that because He does good things. And that points me to the idea of sin being in in, in, in this world. But the second glorious thing about our body, as a, if you're saved, is that Jesus would come to dwell in us. That is specifically His Holy Spirit. Wow! That gives me value. I have value because somebody lives in this tabernacle and He's the most important resident. Let's look at Ephesians 1. I want you to notice when we think about God in our house, that we need God in our vessel. Uh, the first thought is it's the most important resident. Secondly, he doesn't come there until we've believed. Look in Ephesians 1. He resides in us after believing. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And listen to these words. It's saying about, it talks about the Holy Spirit. Does a person, does everybody have the Holy Spirit? Does a religious person have the Holy Spirit? Does everybody have God in them? Well, Paul will clarify that. Ephesians 1.13, verse 13, look what it says. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. So we need God and in to indwell us so we have eternal life, but also he, he, that way we have the Lord of the house. I need somebody to be Lord of this house. It's not that I need to be Lord of this house, and it's not that I should have nobody else in here and it'd be empty because something's going to come in here eventually. Sin, Satan, or self that's just going to want to run rampant. And I need the Savior 
to be the Lord of this house. And I won't have him. I don't have his spirit until I've trusted Christ as Savior. He ought to, he resides after believing. The next thought is, look in verse 8, chapter 5, verse 18, is that he ought to fill this house. He ought to fill this house. Chapter 5, verse 18. Sometimes people's vessel is filled with drunkenness or with other things, and it's controlled by it, by wine. But in contrast to a very simple verse, Ephesians 5, 18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So we have them in us. Now we need to let them fill us. Does the Holy Spirit fill your house, your, your body, your vessel? That's what we need. I don't, want, I don't want anybody else to have any kind of sway in my life or on me. Sometimes I say... Um, I'll go visiting and I'll be going through the neighborhood and I'll see a man outside and I'll say, hey there, are you the man of the house? Oh yeah. Or maybe not. He's like, oh no, no, I'm just visiting or whatever. You're the man of the house. I mean, in other words, the person who's the, the man in command, right? That's what I want to talk to. And so who's the man of the house in your vessel? Who's the man in command? Somebody would say, well, you know, it's not that Jesus is really in command of me. It's just, I know him, but he's not. Well, I mean, do you know him as your Savior? You know him as your Savior. He is in you. Now you should let him fill you. Let him control you. And, um, I, and, I, and we're just saying here, um, go back to Matthew 12. I want you to see something. We'll do one more thought here on this, this idea it's not an idea, it's a truth, that we need God in our house to replace um, anything else that would want to go in there and take control of us. So Matthew 12, I want you to notice here, look at verse 29. Look what it says there. Jesus says, how, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, then will he spoil his house. You're like, I don't know what that's talking about, Pastor Henry. All right, that, that verse, Jesus is commenting on how he cast out a demon. Here's what he says. There was this, there was this demon that was possessed, this, uh, what was it, a young man, I think it was? No, it was just a demon-possessed man. He was blind, dumb, and demon-possessed. Jesus commented on what it was like for him to cast this demon out of this man. This man has the demon. Somehow it's causing him to be speechless and blind and probably out of control at some level. And so that means this demon is residing in this man. This demon is strong. Demons are strong. Some are stronger than others, actually. He's strong. And when Jesus deals with this strong, the demon's likened to a strong man in a house. Jesus comes up to the house. There's goods in the house. There's things valuable in this man. The demon is has taken control of. Jesus comes up to this house. There's a very strong man in there. 
Jesus whoops this strong man. Get out of here. Doesn't have to do much, not much effort for him to defeat a strong man. Why is that? Jesus is stronger than the demon. Jesus said, how, how can somebody, you know, he says, again, verse 49, how else can one enter a strong man's house and spoil his goods, that was recover back these goods, except he first bind the strong man? In other words, Jesus go up to a strong man, yeah, you're nothing, you know. So I'm trying to show you a point here. Um, chapter 40, chapter 12, verses 43, 44, 45 shows that a person can be possessed of a devil. The devil could come out and nothing else go in. So here you have a man who is demon-possessed. The devil comes out. Jesus tells a story about a man who's demon-possessed and the devil comes out, but nothing goes back in that takes its place so the demon can go back in. I'm here to tell you for us, this is a point we'll move on, is that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then He, by His Holy Spirit, lives in you so that stronger man is there. But He's not going to let that demon come back in you to take possession. He'll harass you from the outside of the house, throw rocks at the windows, irritate you, disturb you, oppress you, but He can't possess you because how could He? There's a stronger man that lives here. I need God in my house. If you're not saved, man, don't think it. You, you, some people aren't saved. They're not Christians. They might go to movies like, yeah, I like watching these, you know, these movies with demons in it, and they get all the thrill of it and demon possession and all that. Man, I don't even like that stuff at all. In fact, we're supposed to avoid the works of darkness. Reprove them instead. Just reprove that stuff, or you'll be disturbed by it. A person gets like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't you know. They, get, they may be fancied with the idea of demonic stuff. They're not a Christian. Ooh, you better watch it, buddy. You're vulnerable to the demon coming in you. We need God in our house. I believe Jesus, having Christ secures us against demon possession. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then the last thought is this. So Jesus is talking the need for taking out something bad, not leaving it empty, but putting in something good. That applies to us as Christians in, this, in that we need godliness in our habits. Not only do we need God in our house, but we need, after we have God in our house, godliness in our habits, our ways of life. <clears throat> I'm going to quote a couple verses for you. The Bible says that we should pursue after godliness. Sec, 1 Timothy 6.11, it says, But thou, O man of God, Flee these things, but follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, charity. The Bible says when it comes to godliness, godliness means like godlikeness, things that are good, of God quality. That's what godliness means. If you're a Christian today, God calls you to be godly, to pursue things of godlike quality. He, he says it clearly. He says, follow it, 1 Timothy 6.11. He says, if you have faith, you're trying to add to your faith. He says, add it to your faith in 2 Timothy 1.6. Add godliness to your faith. So we need godliness in our habits. I'm going to give you five points. I have it in our acrostic of the word state. We want our state to be good, personal state. Study, your tunes, your acquaintances, 
your times of fun and activity, and your entertainment. Replace it with have godliness in, no, in your habits there, in those habits. Study habits. You're what you read. Can I just encourage you today? I'm not trying to tell, uh, tell people not to read anything. If it's bad, obviously don't read it. But if you have a reading habit in particular, and you know you're reading bad stuff, keep your reading habit. Just get rid of the bad and start bringing in the good. Get some good novels, some good biographies, Christian biographies. Um, read your Bible. How about that? First, read that one first. You know what Jesus said to the I'm trying to figure this out. You know what Jesus said six times just in the book of Matthew? He said, have you not read? And he's speaking of the scripture. He asked that question. He, he posed that question six times. Have you not read? And you know who he said it to most of the time? The Pharisees. They were religious, but I don't. maybe they weren't reading it all, or maybe just kind of had a vague familiarization with it. Jesus said, didn't you guys read that? And he quoted a verse, he quoted a verse, six times in the book of Matthew. Amazing. So what I'm trying to say is get something good to read instead of the bad stuff to read. I mean, that includes your phone, which most of us were reading off our phone. Man, read something good. Read some good blogs. Read some good news. Read... Read your Bible, of course. Do a good uh, 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 a book. Some of you like your books on your Kindle and all these other things. Read something good. Don't be reading this dark stuff or these depressive stuff or these stupid romance that stuff that's like, I mean, the, oh, the stuff that's like a packaged soap opera put into your book. You know, it's just don't, come on. But, but just don't, just not read the read something good. I mean, there's some decent Christian novels. I think it's okay to have a little bit of that in your diet. Some of the girls are kind of like that. But, um, you know, um, but I'm saying measure the quality and make sure it's something versus saying, I'm just going to put away the bad. I'm not going to read those dumb looks that pastor said, and I'm not going to stop looking at And then you do nothing, you're going to go right back to it. You might even do worse. You know, drug druggies, I've seen this happen. I mean, we've had it. Most of us probably have know somebody or maybe related to somebody had a drug problem. We know it as our family. Um, one of the biggest things, even in the secular principles, the secular guy, uh, mindset of, uh, you know, they, when they would do drugs and they're trying to quit doing drugs, they would say, you know, uh, you know replace that. Those times where you're used to doing drugs replace, or drinking alcohol, replace that time with something good, with some activity. Because if you don't, you're going to go back to it. And I've seen people not replace their habits, their viewing habits, their recreational habits. We'll get to some of those. And just try to keep themselves clean. And they end up running back, and they run back and get more. And they indulge. All right? So study. Tunes. Your tunes. Uh, let's follow along the acrostic here. State. Your music. We are big on music in this country. Music is not a bad thing. We're naturally musically inclined as humans. You know, my, you get your little baby, some of these babies around here, play a little music around them when they're like one or two, they'll start going like this. You know, it's just in our, because what happens is you hear a rhythm, you hear a rhythm, and you, have, you already have a rhythm. I'm done with a rhythm, my heartbeat. Dun, dun. And there's some kind of, uh, you know, your heart wants to go along, and you just get into this rhythm, and there's nothing wrong with that. You, obviously, it's natural, and I don't think there's a... Um, you know, I don't think it's a sinful thing. We are built. You already have rhythm. Even if you, 
you know, you people have these things. Oh, you know, you can't dance. You have no. Well, I my, my heart does. Well, some of us are don't. We have to get it shocked back in place, you know. But um, but the idea of a, of music, it's we're inclined to it. God has made music, and we we're drawn to it. But the problem is, just like anything good that God makes, the devil wants to make a uh, something bad or cheap or um, not helpful. And I think he does that by and large in the rock music industry, okay? I don't think it's helpful. And um, uh, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I should have a newness in the sense of it's distinct to the, to the Christian life. My music should be distinct to the Christian life. Um, and so put off and put on. So I'm trying to encourage our church family in here today. Listen, there's, there's good music. To, I know a lot of us are more musically inclined to the others. I don't have to listen to music all the time. I, it's, I mean, I like it, but... And I know some of you, you're like, man, I want to always hear something, you know, I want to hear my thing. When I get in the vehicle, I turn it on, and we're at home. That's good. Have something good that's going to build you up in the faith. I mean, put away the cheesy, the cheesy contemporary, what a lot of our contemporary stuff, probably about 95% of the contemporary stuff, it just, just doesn't seem like it's distinctly Christian. Um, there's good music, brother... Uh, uh, Brother Nikatsu has this internet radio. In fact, I think we have, we might have a little card. No, we, I don't know if we have any more of this. He has internet radio for Christian music. Um, they have, uh, from the website, his website, Abiding Radio. Listen to that. How many of you already listened to it? How many of you heard of it? All right. All right. Got about, oh, you've heard of it. That's pretty good. He's got hats, too, for you. I'm saying that's a good thing to replace maybe any other bad music habits you had. See, I'm not here to, like, you people get rid of your music and suffer. <laughs> you know? Man, get, listen to that. Um, Brother Getz that was here, his church, his home church, Lancaster Baptist Church, they have internet radio also. Go on there. You can get it right from their website. It's really good, too. Their college they probably have a lot of their music you can get from, I think it's by iTunes. You can download them. You can buy their CDs. Good quality stuff. We like it. There's other colleges. There's a college, um, there's another ministry in, called uh, North Valley Baptist Church, and it's in, I think it's Santa Clara. They have a good internet radio. They have good music there where we get our hymn books. These are actually older hymn books. But Majesty Music, they produce good music. You can do downloads of them. Um, faith Music Mission. I'm just saying, I'm trying to give you something good to help your state. All right? Replace, practice replacement of godly habits, uh, having godly habits in your study, in your tunes, in your acquaintances, letter A, your acquaintances. That means your friends. You know, it's good to have a friend. We need, we need friends to help build us up and give, be, give, be accountable to. Listen, the Bible says, 2 Timothy 2, 22, Flee, flee also youthful lusts. 
but follow. There you go. There's that principle again. Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful lusts, but follow. Righteousness, faith, charity, uh, peace with them. Oh, there should be people involved. Yeah. You flee the things that weren't good, follow with them that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Have some good friends, good acquaintances. Uh, as a teenager, when I came here to this church, before I came, I went through a kind of a time where I had some friends. I just didn't feel close to them. I felt like we were different. Not that I was a godly Christian. I knew I was saved, but I felt like I just didn't have, I wasn't going the same path. They were going like this, and I was going like that. And I went through a time where I really didn't have friends. I was kind of lonely. And the Lord just led through my mom looking for church, led us to this church when it met on Chandler Boulevard in 1990. Here, and God gave me some friends. And it, it, made, it made a big difference. I flee and I followed those with those that called on the name of the Lord out of pure heart. I got some friends. And it was a good replacement. See, it wouldn't have been good for me to say, yeah, you guys aren't Christians or you guys aren't going the Lord's way, so just, and just staying by myself for any length of time. Now, every time, we all, oftentimes we go through times of loneliness. It happens. In fact, you may go through cycles of it even with friends. But I'm saying at that time as a teenager, God brought in something that was a good replacement for me from what I had before, and it helped me grow. Um, acquaintances, letter T, Times of fun and activity. Put off, put on. Flee, follow. Um, <clears throat> sometimes people were used, are used to go into maybe things of fun that are sinful or uh, activities that are, that are not healthy or even moral. Put that off and put on something better. Um, I remember there was a guy who started coming here, and he got saved years ago. Um, he was a teenager. And his mom was like, all he does is spend time on the computer. That's all he does. And he got, in a porno he got a pornography problem bad. This is before you could, this. He had his own little home computer, and he shut this door and played games, and that went to pornography. And... Um, and one of the other teenagers in this church met him, witnessed to him. He ended up getting saved. And his mom was so happy when he decided to start coming to church here, coming to some teen nights. She's like, yes, because he's replacing that time of that immorality with something that's good. He replaced that time. He put off and he put on. And most importantly, Christ came in to reside in him. He's moved to another, I, think he, I don't even know if he's in another state, but I know he moved away. He was only here for about a year or so. You know, the Bible says this. Listen to this, and we're, we're going to move on in a moment. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. You know, there's so much evil. Oh, there's so much evil. Overcome it with good. Lump more good onto the bad. Lump more good. All the evil voices, just put them away and Overcome it with good voices, good music, good friends, good activities. Overcome it with good. And then entertainment. Um, entertainment, we're, we are like infested with entertainment. It's probably more than we need. And um, we should, you know, 
find ways to make our entertainment good. You don't have to put a, sometimes like, let's just get rid of everything that's fun, that's entertainment. I'm not going to watch ever a movie or a show or listen to anything ever again. I'm not going to ride a roller coaster. Right. You know, all right. I mean, if you want, just go join the monks out there in Bangladesh up in the Andes. There's some probably Buddhist monks up there. I think the Andes. That's not the Andes, is it? Himalayas. That's it. All right. You know, eh, no, we're not saying that. It's just, man, make it clean. If you got some movies, make them clean. Make them good. Um, remove and replace. Put off, put on. Flee and follow. And uh, God will bless you for that. Else, else our state will be worse than it was at the beginning. So are you putting off and putting on? That is a, usually the difference in how our spiritual state is. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer.